0: Greetings friends and brethren, this is Dr. Bob Thiel for Continuing Church of God. I'd like to give an updated 1708 message for all young persons, or young people. 1708, now last summer I was doing research into Church of God leaders in history, and I ran across something called the Pious Young Man Guide, or a compendious, useful catechism, for children and all young persons. Now I'm going to hold this up. so You can see this. I mean, we printed this from online. This is from uh, 1708. It's actually by John Malden. Now John Malden was a uh, Sardis era, if you will, Church of God leader in uh, the United Kingdom. As a matter of fact, in the list of uh, successive leaders that I put together, he comes after somebody by the name of. Uh, Henry Sousby, and is actually the last person that we listed in the British Isles uh, at that time. Then we moved the leadership over into uh, the Americas with uh, John Maxim in the American colonies, the British colonies in, in, the, in America. And one of the reasons I was looking at all this type of thing is when I looked at uh, Church of God history, by written by other historians. I saw that sometimes they make mistakes where they consider, just because someone's a Sabbatarian, that they're Church of God. Now, I'm not saying that we in the Continuing Church of God are perfect about that, because we're not, but I did take steps to eliminate people who, let's say, the old Radio Church of God, Worldwide Church of God, uh, Church of God uh, Seventh-day uh, groups have put on their list. Anyway, so what's, what's the point? Point is, I ran across some writings by various ones, and this particular individual, as uh, part of his training. He had hoped to train other people, and that's yes, why he wrote this particular book. Um, I've read it. Now, when I held it up, you may or not have noticed, but this is with definitely old English, so sometimes F's or S's. And when I go over this, I'll try to be careful, because when I first read over this, one of the words I was confused about Was F A I T H. He said, Well, that's faith. Why would you be confused about that? Well, I wasn't, except that in this case, it actually meant saith, because the F was an S. And then I saw something else talking about a wife man. And I saw that a few times and finally realized that meant a wise man. And what's tricky about Old English is sometimes Fs mean Fs and sometimes they mean Ss. Uh, So it's a little bit tricky. Well, anyway. I want to go over this to give uh, a perspective of a Church of God leader from 400 years ago It's over 400 years ago. And hopefully it has applicability, not just for all young persons, as he, as he said, but to all of us as well. Anyway, starts off, he says, uh, God made man in his own image. And, by the way, sometimes when I'm going to be quoting scripture, it would be whatever translation he was using, uh, John Molden was using, which was probably, uh, most of the time, some version of the Old King James. Anyway, it says, God made man in his own image, to the end that he should uh, imitate his maker. In doing good at all times, God made man upright, yet they sought out many evil uh, intentions. I thought it was interesting he started off with that because this is something that we have the Continuing Church of God have taught as well as some other Church of God groups as well, whereas if you listen to Protestantism, they rarely talk about that uh, God made man upright. They tend to go a different direction. And we talk about that, by the way, in a booklet we have called Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God uh, create anything? Why did God make you? This booklet and any other I might hold up Uh, during this sermon are available at the ccog.org website and go on the literature tab, books or booklets. And they're free. We don't ask you for anything. You can just read them. Anyway. And he says, But our good God has sent his dearly beloved son to seek and to find that which was lost. Luke 19.10 Who did very industriously labor in that work while here. For he went about always doing good then uh, he cites Acts 12:38, and at the last he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and to purify himself a particular people zealous of good works then he cites Titus 2 verse 14 you notice I've already gone through 3 or 4 or 5 scriptures and one of the reasons I'm mentioning that is I know some moderns within the Laodicean churches think you shouldn't be using lots of scriptures in sermons or sermonettes. The um, best way to t- teach the Word of God is to teach the Word of God, <laughs> in my opinion. And again, this is what uh, John Maldon was doing. And then, and yet our Lord has too much cause to uh, complain, as was prophesied concerning him by the prophet Isaiah, uh, uh, Isaiah 49.4. I've labored in vain, I spent my strength for naught and in vain. And now God, and now seeing God has made such uh, provision for human uh, restoration, yet the work is uh, so hard to be accomplished. Certainly every Christian ought to do all he is able towards carrying out the great and so good work. So he's telling people you need to support the work of God. And that's actually one of the differences between the Laodiceans and the Philadelphians, according to Jesus' words in Revelation chapter 3. The Philadelphians are doing the work God wants done. They go through the doors God opens. The Laodiceans, they kind of have a work. Eh, not so good. It's not so bad. It's lukewarm. Jesus said he'll spew them out of his mouth. Now, yes, Jesus had issues with Sardis, and you can read that also in Revelation chapter 3. But he said there was a few names, even in Sardis, that were fine. Anyway, then he, going back here, and because many of those who go astray are not willfully uh, losing their happiness, but faith, but, but, but as Solomon says, saith, says in faith. I'm sorry, let me go back to that. It says, because many of those who go astray are not willfully uh, losing their happiness. Say they, says, as Solomon says, they die for want of wisdom. Therefore, it's greatly needful to teach us who call ourselves Christians not only to be uh, such ourselves, as God requires us to be, but also by all probable means we can find out or think of to promote true knowledge and understanding uh, of other, for others. And that's one of the reasons I held up the booklets, that particular booklet. We have other booklets. But it says, and especially young ones, that they may learn early to discern the difference between the pure will of God and human inventions the difference between truth and traditions. Uh, Let's see if I can find one that just comes to mind when I'm doing that. Yes, at the bottom. For example, in Western society, at least the society I grew up in, these these are traditions that I grew up with. But I didn't grow up with these. Another booklet, Should You Keep God's Holy Days or Demonic Holidays? And even back in the 1700s, people were listening to societal traditions or cultures above God's Word. And this book is also available to ccog.org website. Anyway, continuing, he says, and this is more needful in this evil age. Well, this age has gotten worse since his time. Uh, I saw something in uh, from uh, CNN uh, this week. Let's see if I have it written down? Yeah, I've got it over here written down. Uh, CNN's Devin Cole wrote, it is not possible to know a person's gender identity at birth and there is no consensus criteria for assigning sex at birth. Now, this statement was widely criticized all over the internet because human beings do have known forever when someone born uh, generally speaking, what gender they are. And there, is, there is a consensus criteria and it's been written on birth certificates since they started doing things like that. Um, but the fact that a person even published that Shows how perverted and distorted this age is. This age is becoming compared to the age when John Walden wrote this. Now he cites Ephesians four fourteen. So I want to go there. But sometimes he quotes scriptures, and sometimes he just lists them, kind of like the uh, mystery of God's planned booklet that I held up before, because I do that in there. Ephesians 4, he writes, uh, God's word from the Apostle Paul says, and he himself gave, I'm sorry, Hebrew, Ephesians 4 starting in verse 11. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and acknowledge the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, in a cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is ahead as Christ for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. The reason for ministry is to uh, not be tossed to and fro like children could be to do the work support the work and to teach truth of God in love and we want uh, children need to learn this as well and younger people and that's what uh, the intent of his uh, booklet is on this this particular book okay. it's kind of the size of one of our booklets and uh, the, the text is kind of big anyway he says there are people who lie in wait to deceive by slight cunning crafty craftiness and windy doctrine which has no foundation in the pure word of God you know, I held up uh, the the, uh, the picture of the uh, pagan traditions, etc. Those don't have foundation in the Word of God, yet a lot of people think that they do and that they should do those kinds of things. Furthermore, he says, and yet they are pretending Scripture for their rule, therefore are more likely to hurt the unwary soul. So this is actually a criticism from John Malden of uh, what we now call Protestantism. Now, we have a book on that, a fairly thick book, called Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. And John Malden is pointing out that there are people who claim to believe this word, their doctrine is based on us, and it's not. I mean, this word being the word of God, the Bible. I'm sorry, I've got that here. I'm holding up a thick book. I was Okay. But this particular book explains why Protestants really don't believe in Sola Scriptura. Oh, they claim to believe in Sola Scriptura, but they don't actually believe in Sola Scriptura. If so, they wouldn't have a lot of the doctrines that they hold. And this particular book not only calls that out, but also quotes lots of scriptures and shows through church history, early Christians were not like modern Protestants nor were they like the protestants that john Maldon was complaining about back in 1708 again this book is available this book's available online you can read it at ccg.org yeah back to where was i was debating with this particular message how much of this i wanted to do and I've decided that I'm probably going to do uh, multiple parts. I'll do this part and eventually maybe I'll cover the entire book and some other books, partially to show you that we do have continuity from uh, other Church of God leaders. And we didn't just spring up like uh, some of our critics like to say. But also because they have certain insights. To, you know, Just because they were 400 years ago doesn't mean they know any, don't know anything. If they have God's spirit, uh, they should. Anyway, going back to what he wrote about the Protestants. But they they that fear the Lord uh, sincerely and seek for knowledge diligently shall discover their fraud. I held up the booklet. The book My hope of salvation, how we differ from the Protestants. So if you're diligent and you really want knowledge, you can figure out that it's a fraud. And he says, and I hope this small piece in my hand, he's talking about his writing here, will be like a touchstone for the silver or a balance for the gold, which uh, with respect to some doctrines now abroad in the world. This is the this is why I wrote it. Let this not be, and let this be the end and the intent of my pious and careful reading it. If you're pious and careful reading of it, I'm sorry. And I don't doubt but that you will gain some benefit by it, by the help of the grace of God, either to confirm the in some truths already received, or to cause some farther radiation of the truth to shine into your soul. Whatever you find it of of benefit, render all the glory of it to our good God, from whom comes every good and perfect gift, and what is imperfect in it, cover with the mantle of uh, charity, remembering all men have some imperfections, as well as as your friend and servant, John Malden. That's actually his introduction to this book. And he wrote down uh, in the first chapter, he says, this is composed in a plain and familiar style, as the kind and careful father in instructing his virtuous and studious son, which son begins with the discourse that follows. And what he does in this discourse, he has a son speaking, and then he has uh, the father speaking. This is talking about human sons and fathers. So this begins with the son. Son, he says, Honored father, I have of late, have some sober thoughts concerning myself, which are these. One, hence am I, Two, what am I? Three, why am I? Four, fourthly, how have I been preserved hitherto? Fifthly, the certainty of my departure hence. Sixthly, the shortness and uncertainty of my time to remain on this world. And seventhly, the certainty of an eternity hereafter either in joy or misery. First, whence am I? And I find my original to be from God who created all things in heaven and earth without any materials to make them with. So they understand about God's creation. At least the Son is doing that. And this thought makes me greatly to admire the wisdom and power of God and give me such a being in so wonderful a manner and to say with David, Psalm 139:14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet I remember my body, which was of the dust of the earth, and this caused me to consider how unreasonable a sin pride actually is. And thus I learned to be a more humble mind. Now, as far as you know who you are or what God has in mind for you, I held up the booklet, and I am grabbed another one, so... So, some of his questions are actually answered in his booklet, The Mystery of God's Plan Why Did God uh, Create Anything? Why Did God Make You? Again, available at ccog.org website. All right, I'm going to get back to his uh, list because first he lists them, then he goes through uh, many of them one at a time. Secondly, I consider what I am I'm not a beast of the field, nor a fowl of the air, but I'm made. with reason and understanding more than God has given them, more than God has given to the animals. And this thought causes me to rejoice in the Lord and to cry out with David in Psalm 116, 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? Thirdly, why or the end for which. Why am I? And this I find, even by the light of nature, is some eminent is for some eminent use. Yes, there is an eminent use. Again, I held up the booklet, Why Did God Create Every anything? Why did God make you? God has a use for you, whether you're younger or you're older. For men do not build uh stately uh, fabrics to lodge hogs or dogs in, nor do they make golden vessels for the lowest and basest services. Then seeing God has given me understanding above his irrational creatures, I conclude rationally he has made me for some nobler end that, that, than he intended them for. And this thought makes me take great care that I do not employ any of the members of my body or any of the faculties of my mind, my soul, in sin and iniquity, lest I should be charged with abusing some of the most noble parts of the works of God here on earth who has made me for himself. Fourthly, how I have been preserved hitherto in this dangerous and evil world and this thought raises my heart to great thankfulness to God. So he's encouraging people to be thankful here. Who gives you and my dear mother ability to take care of me. And next to God, I render hearty thanks to you, my tender parents, for that great care you've taken of me to feed me and to clothe me and to give me learning. But especially to keep me out of evil company that I've not been ruined by them as many others have been. So this is a warning to not run around with the uh, sinful crowd. And he's being thankful for that, that he's learned that from his parents, and hopefully you've learned this from your parents, or if you haven't, hopefully you're learning this now. And if you have, it's also a reminder. And it goes, Fifthly, The certainty of my departure, hence by death, does cause me to see a necessity of getting an inheritance that is more durable than any in this world. By the way, the word necessity has two Fs in it in here. The word cause has an F in it instead of an S so some of these things I have to look at to get there. But he's saying that because he knows life is gonna end in death, I need to come up with I need to be more certain about what's for the future. And the future's got to do with the coming kingdom of God and his role hopefully in it, as well as your role in it. Sixthly, the shortness and uncertainty of this present transitory life causes me to see a necessity of the greatest diligence in seeking to know and to do the whole will of God while I have time to do it in. You only have so much time on this planet, you don't know how much time that's going to be. And this person saying... I, since I realize that, I need to accomplish things now. And not say, oh, when I'm older, I'll get to it. Or later, I'll do it. Saying to do things now. Knowing well that universal obedience to God is a sure sign of eternal happiness. So, this young person understands that. And that the short time I have here on earth is all the time allowed me. For that purpose. Then he cites Ecclesiastes nine verse ten which he lives out the first part, whatever a hand finds do, do it with all your might. Then he says, Ecclesiastes nine ten, for there is no work nor device in the grave where I'm going. Seventhly, the thoughts of an eternity of joy or misery do quicken me with the greatest industry to flee from the wrath to come, to lay hold of on eternal life, and not be content. With a state, the wise God sees best for me in this life. So I may but do his whole will. Uh, there were six words that had F's in them. <laughs> so I may do his whole will here in this short time and dwell with him hereafter forevermore. So he saying, look, I get it. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I do want to be part of eternity. God's plan. Joyful plan. It's a great opportunity. But in order to accomplish these great things, dear Father, there is a need of great wisdom. And therefore, I do most humbly entreat you to give me the best instruction you can about the duties of religion. So it's interesting. He says there's duties of religion. He understands that. Um, I mentioned about the Holy Days, we keep the Ten Commandments, for example, certain other scriptures. We uh, live as Christians are supposed to, based on this word. Anyway, so he's this person's entreating uh, his father to make sure he teaches them duties of proper religion, Church of God religion. That by your further care and with the grace of God, I may live all my days in a godly and virtuous life. But before I go further, yeah, they do do use the term Church of God in some one of the other books. One of the older books we've got from this time. and it, Anyway, at that end, thereof, may enjoy a comfortable and blessed death. Now, we get the Father's response here. Blessed and praised forever be the living God, who has so graciously crowned my endeavors with his blessing, that the seeds of his grace are planted in your heart my dear child in your early days my soul does greatly rejoice in me to find you you not only remembering the creator in the days of uh, youth which by the way they tell you to do that in uh, Ecclesiastes uh, uh, 12 talks about remembering the creator in the days of your youth but that you desire also to be instructed in the whole will of God and seemest to be contented to suffer here for well-doing, if need be, in hope for a happy eternity. Most gladly, therefore, shall I instruct you, according to the measure of divine wisdom God has graciously bestowed on me, and shall pray to our good God for his blessing thereon, that it may tend to his glory and your eternal advantage. Then, my son, if you would be truly religious indeed, then he goes through his own little list, if you will. First, take notice that you must go forth in that work. As little David went forth against Goliath of Gaz in the name of the Lord of hosts. 1 Samuel 17:45. For that it is prof- possible that you may meet with opposition in your way from Satan and his instruments. Now, none of us are likely to have to face somebody like a nine or ten foot Goliath. Uh, okay, That's not what uh, uh, John Malden's writing here. He's saying you're going to run into all kinds of problems. It'll seem insurmountable. But since uh, David was able to overcome with God's help, you can as well. You must therefore endeavor to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ephesians, Ephesians uh, 6.10 Again, these scriptures are, are uh, either cited or at least mentioned here. And in order to do so, you must make Christ your chief stay. God has laid in him in Zion a foundation, Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, and faith, Ephesians three seventeen. Now this time faith meant faith is <laughs> a means by which we may lay a hold of him to stay and strengthen us. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Second Timothy two one. Then then he cites First Corinthians three eleven, which I'll read what he wrote here. For other foundations can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So then the son is going to respond. Honored Father, I humbly thank you that you direct me to the rock of strength for help, for I find such weakness in myself. So he admits he's got weakness, and he's saying, Good, thank, thank you, Dad, for uh, pointing me to Christ. You know, The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And this is what John Malden is telling his son. Anyway, now the, John, the father responds, John Malden responds, My son... You are the more likely to result from God, for he fills the hungry with good things. When the rich are sent, are, are sent empty away, then he mentions Luke one fifty three, And the Apostle Paul, being sensible of the sufficiency of the grace of God and the power of Christ to strengthen weak ones, cried out, saying, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9-10, when I am weak, then I am strong, thereby signifying the power which he had, least appearance of sufficiency of power in himself. Then he saw most of the appearance of the mighty arm of the powerful Jehovah to bear him up. And the son responds. But pray, my dear father, direct me how I may become to be a partaker of such a great a blessing. Father says, My son, the way to be a partaker thereof is to seek it. For so we are directed in the word of God. Jesus' words, Matthew 7, 7 Seek and you shall find. And in Psalm 105, uh, verse 4, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. The son responds, Dear Father, that I shall most gladly—that I shall most gladly do, if you will please direct me to how to seek, so as I may certainly find and not lose my labor. I want to do it right. I don't want to go and follow false religion. He's saying, I don't want to follow false traditions I may have been raised in. Father responds, my son, if you would seek us to find indeed and not lose your labor, then be sure to make the pure word of God, your rule, in all your... I'm going to say ways. It's it's, it's it's C-A-F-E-S. It does not mean cafes. <laughs> okay, sometimes some of the words are a little bit different. And again, I held up this booklet, Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differed from Protestantism, is because, yes, Protestants claim to get their doctrine from this, from the Bible. But much of it isn't. And that's what Uh, John Maldon was complaining about. Now of course you could be Greco-Roman Catholic. and You may say that uh, as a Greco-Roman Catholic your church teaches that you get uh, doctrine from the Word of God and from uh, tradition. And I would suggest we have another book I'm going to hold up called uh, Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church so you can find out what the earliest traditions were that go along with Scripture. You're never to break the Word of God Various Roman Catholic, Greco-Roman people uh, who were considered saints by the Greco-Roman churches said various traditions, but they can't contradict the Bible. And the Protestants try to say they don't contradict the Bible, but they picked up a bunch of traditions that are unbiblical or against the Bible. And the Greco-Roman churches uh, need to look at that as well. Again, we have a book on here. In this particular book, let me show you or mention to you how these two books differ. This book, almost always, we quote Protestant translations of the Bible. This book, we quote almost always Greco-Roman Catholic translations of the Bible. Like uh, the, the, the New Jerusalem Bible, Dewey rheims Bible, uh, Orthodox uh, Standard Bible or Eastern uh, Orthodox Bible. Uh, a few that come to mind. There's a few others as well, but we, we use those. But anyway... The Father telling the Son, you've got to stick to the pure Word of God. Don't believe traditions from other faiths. Now, we realize that you put these two groups together, and this is 99.9% whatever it is, percent of people who profess Christianity. Uh, particularly you put the, the Mormons in with it as well. Uh, some people don't put the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses in there, but I would, would put them in these categories. Anyway, we're supposed to believe what the Bible says and all of us need to know that anyways the father continues and says and there are three rules given in the word of God which if they are rightly observed you may be sure you shall not fail of finding according to your pious desire so the son says pray father please to make make those uh, make those rules rules plain to uh, my understanding. And I hope you shall see that I shall, through grace, readily embrace them. Even the son's realizing he's got to pray to God to get strength to get through this. You've got people who have been in the Church of God a long time think it's just all their strength. They may not say that, but when it comes down to it, they think that's what it's all, they act like that's what it's all about. And this son's realizing, oh, I've got to ask God for help. i got to, to do all things through Christ's strength. Me, you need to ask and do things the way Jesus would want you to do. Anyway, the Father says, the three rules then, which are infallible are these. One, to seek him early, for God says in Proverbs 8, verse 17, they that seek me early shall find me. Two, to seek him heartily, For he has said, this is from uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, some people have asked me if God is calling them. And basically, if they're starting down this path... If they will diligently seek God with all their hearts, yes, God will be calling. Them. God is calling them. It seems sometimes people are looking for an excuse to to get out of that calling. Uh, to assist everyone, uh, we have a booklet called "Is God Calling You?" And I said to assist everyone, we also got a booklet on faith and one on prayer. We've got lots of book, booklets on different topics. Again, these are available at the CCOG.org website. Go under the literature tab. When you get there, books and booklets, and you can find them. As far as God calling you. If you will be diligent. And that's what John Mullen was saying. Again, a Church of God leader in the early 1700s. The third rule he lists was to seek him in the way of sincere obedience. Obedience. is what he's saying here. So he's citing Exodus 19, verse 5. It says, For God has said, If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And then he cites uh, Jesus' words in John 14, verse 23. If a man love me he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come into him and make our abode with him and this father continues now my son as to the first of these I have great joy in my soul to see you set so early about the, the work but let your heart be sincere for God and be universal in your obedience to God then you need us not doubt that you shall obtain grace here and glory thereafter forevermore. Father responds, I mean, the son responds, Loving Father, I humbly entreat you to pray for me that God will please to prepare my heart to seek him. And the father responds, My son, that I shall willingly do, for it would bring great joy to me when I meet you in the kingdom of our Lord, to are talking about the kingdom of God here, when he comes in his glory, but know you for certain that my prayers alone will not be of any sufficient efficacy to prevail for you unless you pray also for yourself, hoping for acceptance by and through Christ Jesus. He says, yes, I'll pray for you, but you need to pray yourself and you need to live it yourself. The son responds with, It's indeed a precious privilege to find acceptance with with God the Father through Christ, his Son, which is a ground of my confidence, or else I would not dare to draw near to the throne of grace. But that I may improve this privilege, all right, dear Father, I humbly entreat you to direct me in this great duty of prayer. And I held up a booklet a moment ago. Prayer was the Bible teach, to help along with those lines, you need help, or if you want to help your children, if you have children, but also yourself. Father responds, Dear child, you know the direction our Lord gave his disciples, in that which we call the Lord's Prayer, and with the adjuncts thereunto belonging. After this manner, therefore pray. Matthew 6. drawing to the face of our precious Lord. It's good, therefore, to have that direction always in mind when you draw near to God in that duty. The Son says, Blessed be the Lord that I found a good teacher as my precious Savior to direct me in this great duty. But pray, Father, please to tell me whether or not I ought to say that prayer in the very form of those words every time I draw near to God in the duty of the prayer. Now, this is one way that we in the Church of God differ from uh, particularly the, the, the Greco-Roman Catholics uh, the Roman Catholics will say the, what they call the Lord's Prayer repeat exactly the same words over and over again they actually will use beads called the Rosary to make sure they count it enough times and they say it uh, various times so anyway it's a question from the Son to the Father to a Church God leader are we just supposed to like say that those same words over and over, and over again or over just say that Father says, no. I don't think that was the intent of our precious Savior in giving that direction to his disciples. For if it had those immediate disciples to whom it was given had been obliged to use it in all their prayers in the very word of it. but we have a prayer of theirs recorded by Saint. Luke in uh, acts uh, four twenty four to thirty. So let's go there. And this time I'll read it from uh, this will be the new King James. I'm going to cut in the middle of verse uh, 24 of Acts 4. Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined for is to be done verse 29 Acts 4 Now Lord look on their threats and grant us to your servants that with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that the signs and wonders may be done through your name in the name of your holy servant Jesus, and it says then they prayed, uh, they assembled together, etc., and then they spoke the word of God with boldness. So this father saying the son, no, you don't just have to say that particular prayer. Now I realize in Greco-Roman churches they have other standard prayers other than our Father. They have uh, two more of the kind of immediate mind being raised Roman Catholic or uh, Hail Mary and Act of Contrition. But what the Father is saying here is, no, you don't have to say, memorize prayers, and that's not what the intent is. Anyway, he says Acts 4, 24 to 30, that's not found in the Lord's Prayer, and the words of it mentioned in that place, nor is it mentioned in any other part of the Gospels, the epistles of the New Testament, as said at any time by any Christians in those very words. Now the substance of the matter be the same in both the evangelists, yet uh, Matthew and Luke differ in, in some words. For that certainly which are the same words which Christ spoke uh, is not easy to find. Okay, so let me explain what his meaning is by that. What he's saying is, okay, if you go back to what's called the Lord's Prayer, you see a version of Matthew, you see a version in Luke. They're not exactly the same. So we know those aren't exactly the words that Jesus said. And because Jesus would have likely spoke Aramaic, and these were translated into Greek, they would also be a little bit different. But then he says, that Christ does direct us in the substance of the prayer, saying, after this manner uh, pray ye, Matthew 6, 9. So he says, look, Jesus is giving you kind of an overview, an outline of how to pray. He didn't tell you you've got to just say these exact words all the time. Father continues with, The intent of our Lord appears to be let your prayers be in the substance of them, after the manner of the nature of this prayer. Come with faith in the true and living God as your Father. Adore and honor His uh, holy and glorious name. To the end that it may be glorified in all the world, desire the hastening of His glorious and universal kingdom. As it says in Matthew 6, you know, Our fathers are in heaven. Uh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. on earth is in heaven. So, it's coming from my memory on that. And trying to... Probably was no exact translation I was using, but just general memory. Anyway, anyway, Father continues with, Own and acknowledge His fatherly care of us by asking of Him our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. And all the other blessings we want the support of our souls or bodies. Uh, Then it says uh, in Matthew 6, uh, Forgive us our trespassers' sins as we forgive those who sin or trespass against us. And the Father here says, Seek to him for the pardon of all our sins, which we have been guilty of the whole course of our life, that we may be helped to forgive others. And Jesus said, If you don't forgive others, how do you expect God to forgive you? And in Matthew 6, he's also talked about you know, pray that you not led into temptation, but be delivered from evil. And he says that we may be kept from falling into any temptation for the time to come. Then he goes on, the father with, But then know you, my son, that tis not enough to pray only to be kept from the power of temptation, but our Lord has directed his disciples and all Christians. And he cites... Uh, Matthew 26.41 and Luke 13.37 to watch and pray that they enter not into temptation and by watching must be also uh, impacted by the word of God there's a spelling of this word that I'm not quite sure what he meant but I think that's what he meant Good David saith, this is the word faith there, your word which I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And he proposes a very material question in the same psalm which you can be sure to remember with the answer to which and it looks like psalm 119. The answer says, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? That's the question. The answer is, by heeding thereto according to your word, Psalm 119, verse 9. Then the son responds with, Certainly, every word of God is pure as the faith of the wise man, Proverbs 30, verse 5, and is therefore a safe rule for well-ordering all our ways, if we can find the true intent and meaning thereof, and what part thereof we are to be ruled by. But in our days, men, they corrupt the word of God. They put their own corrupt interpretation above the pure word of God in many places. And in some parts of which, which are plain, which are so plain that they cannot put such corrupt uh, gloss upon them. They've gotten a subtle shift to tell us those places of the Holy Scripture do not concern us. But they are given matters to the Jews only. Okay, so... He's saying that they want to overlook scriptures and say, oh, no, those ones, uh, that's just for the Jews. That's not for Christians. For example, like keeping the Sabbath, because John Walden would have done that. And he's recorded to have been a Sabbath keeper. These are weighty matters, dear Father. Therefore, if you could but help me therein, I shall cause to render hearty thanks to God for you for such a great blessing. And on that particular topic, again, I'm going to hold up two books that I held up before. As far as specifically some of the things people will say associated with the Jews, if you're Greco Roman Catholic, you may find this book helpful. And if you're not Greco Roman Catholic, if you're Church of God or Protestant or atheist or whatever, you may find this helpful as well. If you're Protestant or Church of God, I mean Catholic, Greco Roman Catholic, you may find this book helpful. This goes over a lot of the scriptural arguments that people make against keeping the Ten Commandments, uh, God's Holy Days, etc. People want to rely on mistranslations and faulty traditions. And that's sadly true of uh, those who are outside the true Church of God. And we do have a, a short booklet, by the way, Where is a True Christian Church Today? All right getting back to uh, John Malden's uh, uh, questions and answers. Let's go here. Okay. For the way of truth in the Bible most certainly is the most true peace to the soul in this life. Therefore, the prophet joins truth and peace together and commands men to love the truth and peace and to receive and believe the truth is the way to be eternally favored in the life to come. Now here what he did, and we're going to go to Zach, I'm going to go to Zechariah 8. He, on the kind of on the side, he listed three scriptures, uh, which is different than how he did four. He usually just put them right in between, or right next to them. So the first one he cites was Zechariah. And again, this is to, to buttress his position uh, about uh, uh, truth. So uh, uh, Zechariah 8 uh, verse 16 it says these are the things you shall do speak each man the truth to his neighbor give judgment in your gate for the truth justice and peace and don't think evil of your neighbor in your uh, own heart don't, uh, don't love a false oath God says I hate those And then I'm going to skip down to verse 19. So I can find it. Thus says the Lord. uh, Going down to the end of it. So there shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love the truth and peace. You're supposed to love the truth. Also, he cites 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You're probably very familiar with that. To go down to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, he starts with verse uh, 10, but I'm going to start with verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. A lot of people have fallen for signs and lying wonders instead of believing the word of God. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they have not received the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they shall believe the lie that they all shall be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And he also cites in this 1 Timothy two four. So let me see here. I don't want to figure out when I start this. I'll start in verse 1. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, those are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Part of the reason why we put out these particular books It's also why we put out a different book I'm going to hold up here called Universal Offer of Salvation. Because of traditions, false teachings, etc., many people do not understand God's plan of salvation. And God does have a plan to call everyone. Salvation will be offered to everyone, either in this age or age to come. And yes, you do want it to be in this age. You will live better in this life. It will be better for you in this age. You'll develop character. You get resurrected sooner. You have an extra thousand years to live, and learn, and to help, and serve, and to love. You want to be called in this age. Yes, we have tests and trials, but this age is going to end. Even the son that John Maldon is writing about realized this or understood this. So anyway, the Universal Art of Salvation book or book is also available at csug.org uh, website. And the sun continues here. And can it be supposed that any men who retain their rational faculties can uh, choose error wherein is neither peace nor life to be found rather than truth? Wherein they find both? The Word of God contains truth. The books I've been holding up, like the one I just did on Universal Law for Salvation, has hundreds of scriptures quoted. Not just referred to, quoted. So you can see. And you can check in different translations of the Bible too. If you don't like the translations that we, we use, we'll use different ones, multiple ones. And the purpose of the Protestant book we have and the Catholic book we have is to so tell Protestants and Greco-Roman Catholics, look, if you're going to be fully logical with the Word of God and the beliefs of early Christians, you need to reconsider because the Church of God has the same faith that the original apostles had. Again, I'm going over the same faith from 400 years ago. We have existed contrary to some claims of others that we just popped up from either the 21st century when the continuing Church of God established uh, as a separate corporation, uh, the uh, 20th century uh, when Herbert W. Armstrong split off from Church of God's Seventh Day, or we've falsely claimed to become from the 19th century, from the Millerite movement, which the Church of God movement was not part of. We have continuity from the beginning. And in the uh, book I held up on the uh, beliefs of the original Catholic Church, I go into that uh, with actually a full chart, which, by the way, has John Malden's name on it, and also in the, uh, the Protestant book we go into a lot of history as well with some of the names of uh, our leaders throughout history from the time of the Apostles uh, to present day. Anyway, getting back to his writing, this now the father is speaking here. It's indeed very strange, my son, and very dreadful in the end because they do not only hinder themselves of happiness by shutting their eyes against the truth, but also are leading others In blindness by their example and while the blind will lead the blind they can expect no other but then to fall into the ditch and they cite Jesus in Matthew uh, 23 verses 13 14 15 and yet I can show you from different parts of the Holy Scriptures that is certainly so I want to mention that here he's saying when you teach doctrine you look at different parts of the Bible and that's what we, Continuing Church of God, do. Uh, see a few of those places of Scripture and observe well. The wise man says in Proverbs 1.7, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Not natural fools, for then their evil would not have been so great as now it was. But they were such as God had made with useful members in their bodies, as eyes to see and ears to hear, and had given them rational powers in their souls that they might be able to hear so as to understand wisdom and outward means by which they might have gained understanding and the only cause why they remained ignorant was in themselves as appears by the most affectionate calls of God to them saying and this is uh, Proverbs uh, 1 he says 22 to 32 but doesn't have all those verses in here I'll read what he wrote here Proverbs one, starting verse twenty two. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the stoners delight in their, excuse me, the scorners delight in their scorning. When we went and printed this book, not everything printed as uh, uh, clear as we wanted. We do not. Uh, we had to print this just offline. It's not a book that we put out. Now, I'm going to go back there again. And read it for it's the reason I want to reread it. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? people don't want to go through all this, this. it's too much trouble to read uh, books this length to explain why, if you're Protestant, why you shouldn't be Protestant. People don't want to know that. They prefer to be ignorant. The the simplicity of of false doctrine or other traditions. That's not how you're supposed to be. You're supposed to prove all things. Hold fast to what is good, the Bible says. How do you prove all things? You just accept it's stuff. And you say, oh, well, I'm what you, whatever faith they are. Maybe you're a, a convert to Roman Catholicism. Maybe you're a convert to Protestantism. So you think you've proven it. You've looked at some details and that's good. But you haven't looked at enough of them if you are uh, not part of the Church of God. Anyway, he says, Scorners delight in their scorning fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, this is again, this is Proverbs 1, I will pour out my spirit unto you and I will make known my words to you. And then John Molden writes, And because they did not turn and receive wisdom from God, as they might have done, the Lord threatened them with grievous judgments. God complains by the, Isaiah the prophet saying, and this is Isaiah 30, starting in verse uh, 9, verses 9 through 11. we get from his translation here this is a rebellious people that will not hear the law of the Lord which says to the seers see not and to the prophets prophesy not unto us as right things speak to us smooth things prophesy deceits get you out of the way turn, turn aside out of the path cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us then it says Jeremiah speaks of some now he's in uh Jeremiah seventeen verse twenty-three here, who inclined not their ear, but made their neck, excuse me, their neck stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And in the famed prophecy, God calls to them, saying, This is Jeremiah 6, 17, hearken to the sound. But they said, We will not hearken. And again, by another prophet, he says, and this prophet is going to be Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 7, starting in verse 11. They refused to hearken and pulled away their shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yes, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. And that law would include, for example, the Ten Commandments. And you've got uh, some Protestants who claim to keep them, but a lot of Protestant leaders teach against them. We go over that in this particular book. We also have one just specifically on the Ten Commandments. Let's see if I can hold this up while I'm earlier it is on the Ten Commandments if you just want to learn more just Swift on the Ten Commandments but if you're Protestant you uh, may want to read this book as well if you're a Greco-Roman Catholic you may believe you keep the Ten Commandments but uh, sadly a lot of people who claim to keep the Ten Commandments reason around them and I would recommend that you read this particular book, both of them actually but this one's more on the Ten Commandments Itself, so you can understand what God's law is and how you should be living a life of obedience and not be like the Pharisees of old who thought that they are keeping God's law but uh, worked around it and they were condemned by Jesus for their traditions which stopped them from or they used to justify, if you will truly keeping the law of God such as what's found in the Ten Commandments. getting back the father says and it was not only so of old in the prophet days but in the gospel times Though so God changed their ministry sending his own son to teach them yet they changed not their minds but did still retain their hatred of true knowledge and their love of the blindness and ignorance and in it which it was fulfilled Now he's going to cite Matthew 13 uh, verses 14 and 15. In that day of the prophecy of Isaiah it says this people's heart is waxed grief. This is Matthew 13 sorry verse 14. And their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should be should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Now he's going to cite John three nineteen and 20. And again, Christ speaks of some that loved darkness rather than light and came not to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. People, a lot of people are not going to read what they need to read to know what to do. On the other hand, God is going to be calling people in this age as well as during the time of the great tribulation of the day of the Lord. A great multitude will come out of it. I believe that information such as in the book that I held up on Protestants and one I held on the Greco-Roman Catholics as well as the Ten Commandments, that information will get out. And some, people, some people will find this information. They will learn and they will respond. In Second Peter 3, five, you don't have to go there, he says, The Apostle Peter tells us plainly of some that were willingly ignorant. So that appears plainly beyond all possible contradiction that some persons do love and choose blindness and error rather than light and truth. And it is certain that some of those do endeavor to corrupt others. For we read of some who were, now he's referring to uh, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Then he cites Peter. So he's going to Second Peter 2, starting verse 1. I'll give you a moment to get there. He says, And the apostle Peter lets the Christians know the certainty of these evil workers in the former and latter ages of the world, saying, There were false prophets among the people. There will also be false teachers among you. Who privately bring in uh, condemnable uh, heresies and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And there are some people who claim to be in the Church of God. There's two who come to three to come to immediate mind. If I won't say. Uh, one called, I think two of, I think all three call themselves apostles, and at least two of the three call themselves prophets, and they're causing the way of truth to be evil spoken of or blasphemed because, first of all, their prophecies are wrong, their doctrines are wrong, and things that they how they ran their churches and told their people to do are wrong. Anyway, getting back to the John Maldon's writings, the son responds, "Dear Father, I return you hearty thanks." So he's being thankful again. You are pleased to give me warning concerning these men, for they are dangerous persons to live amongst. So they're living amongst them. Uh, This is, again, from the British Isles, which at this stage was mostly uh, what we'll call uh, Anglican, Protestant. Pray be pleased to let me know by what marks I may know them, that I may avoid any familiarity with all such persons. So he wanted to know, so he wouldn't have to be familiar with them. Now some of you are in the Church of God, you say, you're not Protestant, You know, so why do you need to know? He felt, the son felt it was necessary to know so he could deal with them, or know what to look for, what arguments not to fall for. When the apostasy hit the old Worldwide Church of God, I was shocked that people fell for some of the same old arguments that various uh, deceitful Protestants had used. I'm familiar with those arguments um, and I knew they were deceitful That's why I was became part of the Church of God but you should be we're not supposed to be ignorant Satan's devices so being knowledgeable about doctrines and some of the explanations others have given can be helpful because we're supposed to be ready for an answer to anyone who asks us according to the Apostle Peter and this can help and we are still working on uh, this book But there is a version of it online. I'm sure I'm going to add more to it. uh, But there is certainly a version of it online. uh, You can learn, again, how to deal with issues with uh, Greco-Roman Catholics, as well as Protestants, and others who profess Christ, who are not as faithful to the Word of God as the Church of God is. Anyway, the father responds, My son, if you would avoid them... Hearken to the gracious words of our blessed Savior, Matthew seven fifteen through 17. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. And that's the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. False prophets are known by their fruits. I alluded to three of them who uh, claim to be in the Church of God. And they've had false prophecies. And it should be obvious those are the fruits, but some people don't see it. In Continuing Church of God, we have not had false prophecies. And we've also had the fruits of being the fastest growing uh, uh, Church of God uh, in the 21st century. Anyway, continuing, Jesus said, And this is the citation of it in this book. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but corrupt trees bring forth evil fruit. Men thus corrupted are men of wicked lives, and it must need be so, because those evil practices, if willfully chosen, must need spring from a heart which is hardened in sin or from a spirit, a spirit of atheism, to which uh, s- s- uh, state men arrive through custom and sinning. And it's uh, kind of more than that now. I want to hold up a particular book, so I've got to get to it here. Uh, uh, atheism is becoming more and more popular, but it's not because people know the truth. We have a book called, uh, book of God's Existence Logical, you can prove there's a God and that the atheistic explanation is uh, irrational. It's so irrational, somebody who believes it, a Nobel Prize winner by the name of Dr. Uh, George Wald, said he believes there's only two possibilities, either a supernatural creation or no God, things just sprung up. He said the no God, things just sprung up, he, uh, is impossible, but he said he believes it anyway. So don't think that the so-called educated know more than you do in this age, because they really don't. Anyway, it says spirit of atheism, which state or statement or uh, uh, various ones are in custom of sinning. When it comes to the degree of the hardness, they are fitted for abominable wickedness, for they know it so to be. As the faithful Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, verse 32, I'm sort of chuckling to myself because I cite this a lot, who, knowing the judgment of God, that those who commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in those who do them. The son responds, Blessed be our good and wise God that he has left so clear a character of these dangerous persons on divine record. So he's saying, look, I'm very grateful that is the Word of God, this book, has warnings what to look for. Because the Bible does say there's going to be false prophets, false teachers, false apostles. They won't have the true Christian fruits. And Jesus said, you've got to know them by their fruits. And if the fruits are uh, false prophecies, doctrine that goes against the Bible... This includes people who claim to be in the Church of God You need to be wary of it. And even for those who truly are in the Church of God in the end times. You also have to look out for those in terms of a work who truly are lukewarm when it comes to that. And Jesus warned about that being the reality in the end times in Revelation chapter 3. The son says, I shall endeavor, by the help of the grace of God, to escape their society, and have no conversation with them, that I may not fall into their snares. Now we're talking about a child. It doesn't. He's, we're not teaching that you cannot talk to Greco-Roman Protestants because you can, but we need to be trained sufficiently in the Word of God and in doctrine. So, when we do speak with them, we can, one, answer their questions, but two, not be caught up in the same snares that they are. The son continues here, but that I may better escape all such mischiefs, pray, Father, please to give me your blessed direction that you can, that my feet may be established in right paths. And he uh, says, that I will willingly do my son. And the Lord help you to take good heed thereto. Then he says, first then, beware of the abominable error that sprung up in the world, which so absolutely strikes at the great duties of repentance and praying for the pardon of sin. I mean the doctrine which says, God sees no sin in his people. This is the false doctrine that apparently they had to deal with at this time. And though it's... uh, "'Tis true that none can come to God without true repentance at their first entrance in the union with Him. Yet alas, who can say... Proverbs 20, verse 9. I have made my heart clean. I am pure from sin. Job was a faithful servant of God. Yet he says, Job 10, verse 14. "If, If I sin... You mark me and will not acquit me from my iniquity. And David says the Lord, Psalm 38, 2, 3, and 4, Your arrows flick me at me, and your hand preserves me, for there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, neither is any rift in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. As Solomon says, Ecclesiastes uh, 7.20, There's not a just man upon the earth who does good and sins not. And he also says in Proverbs 28.13, He who covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses forsakes them shall have mercy. And our gracious Lord says in Luke Luke 13.3-5, Except you repent, you shall all perish. Therefore, take this for a certain maxim, while we cannot live without sinning, we cannot live to please God without some uh, proportionable repentance and praying for pardon. Then all doctrine which teaches the neglect of these uh, duties must need be grievous, pernicious to the souls of men, and therefore be more carefully to be avoided than all the houses affected with pestilence. So I want to conclude with something he said or allude to and that's uh, 1 John chapter 1. We do sin but what he's saying is there are people going around telling people uh, that uh, don't worry about the sinning or repentance it doesn't really matter because Jesus forgives you of everything. Turning the grace of God into licentiousness as Jude Jude had warned. Uh, But the point he was making is uh, 1 John 1. Uh, Let's go back to verse 5. This is a message which we've heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we want light. If we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. And John Walden was warning about those who wouldn't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he walked in the light, we shall have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all right, unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar to, uh, and his word is not in us. So I hope you found this introduction to John Malden's writings of the conversation between the father and the son helpful as far as, again, uh, the, uh, a Young Man's Guide uh, A Guide for People from 1708 I think there's lots of uh, meat if you want in that particular message I hope, I hope you find it helpful Again, the Continuing Church of God we're continuing to teach doctrines that the true church has taught throughout the ages and what are those doctrines based on? The true word of God This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God